Now, uh, this just came up. Go ahead and start the clock, okay? And start, the, start recording. Uh, do we have a speaker? Joy, would you do something? Uh, this is totally fit with, with, with what is gonna be happening here today, but would you, do, could you just, you're not getting what I'm saying. Here, I'll do it. <laughs> I trust him. So here's what I want you to hear is, we're, we, you, know, you know that since the beginning of the year, the Lord has been coming big time and saying, trust me no matter what. Over and over, trust me no matter what. And he's been giving us all kinds of reasons for that. But we just had a trust me no matter what story happen this morning, and I just wanted Joy for you to go ahead and share it, okay? Well, actually, um, I... When you said that we were working on trust me no matter what, I felt, I took a class yesterday um, about an inner healing class, and there was an exercise in which we asked the Lord if there was a vow that we had made, and the Lord pointed out to me that at six years old, I had made a vow that I would not trust him, and when you think about the circumstances, um, a little boy in my class, his mother had just died. And my mom went into the hospital, and I thought she was going to die. And I asked my teacher what was going to happen. And she said, sometimes God takes the people that we love. And so in my heart, I was hurt. And I made a vow that I would not trust God because he would take what I love. Anyway, so in this class, I broke that vow because that's not, that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to make agreements with him about things that are not true. And I have struggled my entire life trusting God. There, I mean, he's proven himself faithful, but the reason I could not trust him is because at six years old, I made a vow. Anyway, so all that. Today in worship, God gave me a picture of my hands kind of waving back and forth. And he said to do that. And I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. How about I just stick my hands up and maybe go like this? And so I did that. And he's like, no, I, I want you kind of like an, more like an egg beater. I want them back and forth and back and forth. And I'm like, oh, that's so weird. Oh, okay, God. And I started doing it. And he's like, keep going. Keep going. And the song kind of ended. And he's like, keep going. And I was like, okay, Lord. And then we worshiped again, like there was an encore, right? We kept going, and we kept going. And, he's, and I'm like, God, what are you doing? He's like, you are changing the atmosphere. In your obedience, as you trust me, my spirit is moving because you are facilitating that. And so in obedience, we are in, in trusting him and taking those steps, he can move. And so he, you know, we're doing that, and he's like, keep going. And then he's like, now go up and speak. And I'm like, what the heck? He's like, go and speak now. Mm, okay. So I go up there, and Savannah's sitting there, and I'm like, okay, well, she's not acknowledging me. Can I leave now? Go speak. <laughs> and so, so I didn't have words, but he had words, and he knew what he wanted to say to us because we need to give him authority in our lives because although we have taken Jesus as our Savior, he isn't actually ruling in our lives. He is... He, we've given him limited authority in our lives, and we need to actually transfer the authority to him so that he can, because he came to conquer things. 
And we need to do that. And we need to be obedient to step out in what he has called us to do. And the way to do that is to give him authority so that he can empower us. Thank you, Lord. So there, huh? Right? Now, now here, was, here was my actual intro, and I just want you to hear this. So my actual intro was, is that since the beginning of the year, he's been saying, trust me no matter what. And he's been saying that over and over and over again in different ways, with different ideas from different angles and all this kind of stuff. And last week, if you saw the Easter sermon, that was a just astounding. I don't mean because of me, of course. I mean that was just an amazing thing of why we should be trusting him, right? And so this week, when I went out to pray, I felt like the Lord asked me this question, to what end? Why? Why trust me? Now, I've been saying something, you've heard me say this several times, so this isn't the first time I've said this. I've said, I recognize that to some degree there's probably something in play or could be something in play about big things coming, right? Some sort of downturn in the economy or debt crisis or whatever, and something that really causes us to have to trust him in new ways or just personal things, health reasons and so on. By the way, uh, Hannah Pelly, does anybody have an update on her? Is she, is she still in the hospital right now? So Lord, in Jesus' name, we just pray for Hannah right now. She, I'm sorry, she, she's had head pains and then they're doing an angiogram today to try and figure out what's going on because they've, been, they've had her all night and all day running tests to try and figure out what's going on. She's in pain. So Lord, in Jesus' name, heal her. Just even now, heal her. Take this thing out, be gone. In Jesus' holy and precious name, get thee behind Jesus, Satan. Be gone and do not come back. The Lord rebuke you. And we, we proclaim the healing we proclaim in the authority that you've given us. As we transfer to you, you transfer yourself back to us, and you tell us to stand in authority and faith for it. So we stand in authority and faith for Hannah. In Jesus' name, amen. Be healed. Thank you, Lord. But, but the point is, is that all this, what I've been, every time I say, it doesn't feel to me. I get that there's all kinds of reasons why things can go poorly. It could suddenly turn around and go badly. But it doesn't feel like that's what he's doing to me. And I say that every time I say this. I say, it doesn't feel to me like that's what he's doing, even if it does happen. Sure, it'll be better that we are prepared. But all of a sudden I said, what if you take all the apocalyptic and all the disaster scenarios out of play? Why would God be telling us to trust him, no matter what, so much? Why? Why? Yeah, there's, there's, yes, but I, but I, I want to go here. This is such a big thing, and I'm going to take, I'm going to do the whole sermon on it, of course, but here's the deal. I really felt something when I was asking, answering, trying to answer that question to myself, and then he started to give me what the answer was. I literally got a, I'm not going to call it a vision because I've had visions and it wasn't that. But I'm going to say a very, very strong sense that I leave for your discernment that what he was saying to me was one day every single person that hears this particular sermon is going to be standing before the Lord. And they're going to be called to account for what they heard today. But that's where he's going with this. There's something that he wants to bring to our hearts which is incredibly obvious. But also... It's obvious because it's so critically important. 
and as obvious things often become, they're not actually something that we're doing, not really. So with that in mind, who's our prayer? Greg Thatcher, this is perfect. Love you, Greg, thank you, thank you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that we would, um, whether we were feeling um, away from you or blank, or maybe even in our heart, um, maybe black as in we're, we so don't belong to you. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would reach across the void today and speak to our hearts to what end. Lord, and that um, you would remind us of this day throughout the week. Lord, I also pray for um, the scattered church of, I'm thinking of from Kirkland, Father, without naming them, but those people, Father, that have been scattered because of um, this church split, that in Jesus' name, that you would bring them together under one shepherd and God find them a local church where they can relate to Amen. you and to other believers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. To get us all on the same page, and because it's super important for today, I want to just do a bit of a recap. And that is that years ago, we started looking at Luke. And we were looking at Luke for a particular reason, which was very much what God has done. But he's extended it so much that what we started with seems pale compared to the richness that he's brought us into. But the bottom line was, is what he was saying and what he's been saying for all these years is, is he dis in Luke we see Jesus and the Holy Spirit discipling the disciples. And what we've come ever more aware of is as we were learning about how Jesus discipled those disciples, he was discipling us. Very same way. Now, there's always the issue of whether or not you're entering in. But think about something. God has a lot of grace. And there's a lot of, he understands that it takes a lot of time for us. So the bottom line is we've been in this for a long time. But we are coming to a head on this empowered series. And this is the graphic that we use when it's appropriate. But that's what this is, the Holy Spirit coming upon to empower us to do His will no matter what. When you got up here and did that, we, we had actually gotten to another gear. When you got up here and did that, it took us to a whole other gear yet again, where God wanted us to be. Now I want to say, this comes from, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is Jesus right before He ascended. He's already risen again. But this is before he ascends back to heaven. And this is the last thing he says to them. And then he ascends. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the last words that he gave them. The last thing he said. Think, they think that was important? Right? Well, watch this. Here we are, right now, in the, we're at the Last Supper, and we're at the end of the Last Supper. Almost the total end, but pretty much the end. This is also the things that God really wants ringing in our ears. The things that he's been building us to for years. Now watch what happens. This is at the Last Supper. Realize what a moment. See, we look at it and we know his death and his resurrection and all that. So we impregnate that moment. To them, 
They, they thought he was going to still take rule and all that kind of stuff, but they're having this Passover supper. They're not realizing it's the last one, even though he's telling them over and over, even at this supper, this is it. But they're not getting it, and so being human, this is where they go. This is, um, this is unbelievable to me. This is how our passage today starts. At the last supper, they began to argue amongst themselves about who would be the greatest <laughs> relative to the others. It's like the worst, Right? It's not, we're all great, at least team us. <laughs> it's literally them competing with each other about who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to sit at that right hand? I'm just, that's appalling. It's also very us, but it is appalling. Well, watch what happens. When did the foot washing happen in that Last Supper? Probably after this. So from last week, we learned who God is in a new way, even though we knew it in a new way. We learned that he is infinite to this degree. This is just one of the nebula, and this just happens to be an incredibly beautiful one, and I could stare at, let's look and stare at that all day long. It's just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, maybe but it's also hundreds of millions of light years across. And it's enormous. And the whole idea is, is God's telling us how enormous he is. But last week he also showed us he's not just infinitely huge, he's also holy and glorious. And this is him in heaven, surrounded by the 24 thrones. Now, infinite as to create the whole universe, and be over it at every moment still, in every part of it, but also holy and glorious on the throne. And yet here's what Jesus does, probably in response to them arguing about who's the greatest. So he rose from the table took off his outer garment, and tied a towel around his waist. This is what a servant does. Every one of these guys has seen or been in a rich man's house where there's a servant, and this is what they do. Then he poured some water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. I cut this scene right there because... I think that's perfect. Do you see what's in his eyes? Do you see what he's doing? He's going, what the heck is happening here? This is the Lord that we follow. No king, no great man, no Lord washes the feet of his servants. Nobody does that. This is, they're all going, what is happening Peter says it so much, he says, no, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. <laughs> See it? But then Jesus, of course, says, but unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Peter, in his characteristic way, says, then wash all of me. He says, no, no, no. It's just, you know. <laughs> but, but you get the, but, but. I, I want you to see something here about what Jesus did. He didn't 
say this. He, later on, we're going to see that he talked about what he was doing. But I want you to see this moment and feel this thing. Infinite, massive, glorious, holy God did what? Emptied himself, not only of his godly attributes to become human, but then became the lowest, born in a manger, and doing one thing. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and the great men lord it over their people. Yet they're called friends of the people. The, the key words here, they lord it over, and yet you can almost hear him doing air quotes, right? They lord it over you, and yet you think of them as friends. Why would anybody think of them as a friend? Well, because they're so wealthy that if just a crumb falls off of their table, it's enough to provide for you for the rest of your life. See what I mean? So there's a, they're a benefactor that they deign to pour out a pittance or two, and it totally changes your life, and you call them friends for that. What kind of friends are these? Is there any other context in which that kind of friendship would be acceptable at all? But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. The leader should be like a servant. And then he goes on to say, who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course. But not here. Not in the kingdom of God. Not with me. I am among you as one who serves. God, who is to be worshipped, came to help, to wash feet, to help, to save. You know, he does something really funny here. He should have left it at that. They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. Why didn't he just tell them, well, the one who serves? And leave it at that. Because he actually turns it back on itself again. And watch how he does it. Watch this. You have stayed with me in times of trial. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. Now, in terms of kingship and great people, that means you're not, you're not sitting at some ante room being provided for by the largesse. You're actually at the king's table. So right there, that's honoring, at least honoring. But then he goes even worse. You will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They were just arguing about who's going to be greatest, and his answer to them is, first you've got to serve. Oh, and by the way, you're going to be judges over Israel. They're thinking we're going to be greatest in the kingdom of Jesus that's coming to, reduce, to, to get us out of the Roman rule. He's saying, no, you're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. This is greater on a scale that they could never even begin to comprehend. Remember the 24 thrones around the, elder, around the God that we just saw? There are 12 of those seats. The head of the tribes of Israel are likely the other 12. But do you see it? This has is, this is taken what they had in their flesh 
about being greater than you. More, I'm more important than you are. And he's just doubled down, tripled down, quadrupled. He's just, he's just blown it out of the water. And he said, here's what actually awaits you. I want to say something. What would be your response to that? Somebody did something like that with you. You were doing something that was fleshly and ugly. And then somebody came to you and did something that was, wow. What's it do to you? Go ahead. Humbling. Doesn't it? It bends your knee, doesn't it? It makes you go, God, what a silly... <sighs> right? Takes them to a whole other place. But look at the, look, there's a, a word in here that's interesting. Judging. Judging. When is, in our culture, in, in, a, in our culture, does judging hardly ever be something positive? That person is being judgmental. You know what that means? They're, we don't like what they're doing. <laughs> it's critical. They're judging me. Right? There's no sense of this, you know, honorable judge who's deciding what's right. Now, that's, I'm not saying there's no sense, but there's very little sense in our culture. Individuals that we are, we will not be judged. <laughs> and of course, we're all going to be judged, whether you like it or not. But the point is, is judging has this totally negative connotation to it. So let's ask a question. How did Jesus judge? How did he judge? Well, let me suggest to you that what we've been looking at is that. The washing of the feet is how Jesus judges. How? What does that mean? Well, just look at this. He goes on to explain what he was doing with this washing of the feet. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, I am. So listen and learn. <laughs> right? Since I, your Lord and teacher, the one who is over, have come under Go and do likewise. Since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. But I don't see any, this is not how Jesus judges. I don't see that in there. Except you have to remember something. How many, how many disciples' feet did he wash that night? Twelve. That means that one of them was the guy who was literally going to betray him that very night. All of a sudden, you're starting to see something. Just think about this for a little while. How do, here's the question we're trying to ask. How does Jesus judge? What does he do? And that brings about the thing that he wants brought about, which actually is in the realm of judgment. 
let's be clear, this is how Jesus judges. If you receive what I have done for you, then you will have eternal life. If you will not, then you do not. Watch this. On the cross, Jesus does this. They know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It seems to me like they had a pretty good handle on what they were doing. That's the way I look at it. Seemed to me like they didn't like what he was doing and they didn't like how he was competing for the position and the authority and the place that they had in society. And they were, he was allowing John the Baptist to call them serpents and he himself was coming along and confronting them and they were trying to trick him and he was always turning it back on them and all this kind of stuff. So it was just jealousy. It was normal human jealousy. And they just wanted him out of the picture and they knew exactly what they were doing, didn't they? That's how I read it. That's what it looks like on the surface. But what's actually happening? They don't know what they're doing. This is not, if they really knew, they wouldn't do what they're doing. In fact, watch this. We're going to take the most famous verse in all the Bible, right? Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus, this is not it. I do want you to see, though, that the Holy Spirit empowered Stephen to do the very same thing after he was one of the deacons, that uh, when they picked them, the, 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 what became the elders, but the disciples said, we must devote ourselves to the word and to prayer. And so then they appointed deacons to take care of things like the widows and so on, to run all these people who were getting saved and to help keep them organized and get money distributed properly and so on because people were selling everything they had and giving it. And Stephen, under the power of the Holy Spirit, preaches a sermon that is phenomenally powerful. And at the end of it, he says, this is the Lord that you crucified. Now, right there, they're mad at him. They start to throw some stones, and he looks up, and he says, I see Jesus seated with God. <laughs> that means he's God. Blasphemy. They rush him, and they stone him to death. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off his coat and laid it at the feet of a young man named Paul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Isn't that interesting? Jesus and then the first death. And with that, he died. Now again, like I say, how, where's the judgment? How does God, how does Jesus judge? Here's that most famous. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. Listen to that. So that no one need to be destroyed. So that no one needed to end 
separated from me. He sent his son because he loved the world. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. But now watch how it goes on. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. What did he do? He came to help to put the world right again. It had lost its mooring completely, utterly. And he was just trying to save it. Now watch this next verse. This is where the judgment really kicks in. Did you, did you know that this was right here? Because we always do, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But do you know the verses that follow? We do, but do we? Because it says anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. Look at those words, without knowing it. Without knowing it. Oh my God, I just want you to get it. I want you to hop in my heart. It's a lot better than hopping in my brain. Hop in my heart. I'm overwhelmed. I'm struck. They don't know that they're under death sentence. Isn't that the truth? Did you before you got saved? They don't know it. So what do you do? Everything you can. <laughs> no matter what. No matter if they put you on a cross and kill you. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. There's that scene in heaven where the sheep and then the, the, those that are his and those that are not his are being separated. That final judgment. And at that point in time, I've always said something. It's not Jesus saying, you get to go and you don't. You get to go and you don't. And then somebody going, no, 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 I knew you, I, you know, whatever, you know, I'm supposed to be with you. By the way, there are some people that say that. And the interesting thing about them is they'll say something along the lines of, didn't we do all these miracles and everything else? And his answer will be, I don't know you. Which is another way of saying, you didn't do that because of me. Wood, hay, and stubble on your own efforts. The things that I led you to do, those are the things that last. And it's all that lasts. Everything else burns up. The point is, is that people separate themselves. They know that they don't belong with him because they're suddenly aware of the literally millions of times that they rejected all the different ways that he tried to reach them touch them and get them to believe and understand and trust. See it? Now that's judgment. But that's a very different judgment than what we think of when we think of the judge from on high critiquing you. Isn't it? Here's what the judgment is. I came in the lowest possible way knowing everything that you'd suffered. A high priest who knows all of our temptations has suffered more than we ever have. For who? For us, to save us. God, help us here. God, help us here. God, help us to get how you judge. Help us.
So we ask the question, to what end? What was Jesus trying to get the disciples to do in this, one of his very last things that he'll ever say to them? We're at the end of the end. What was he trying to get them to do? Give every single person every possible opportunity, no matter what. You see it? No matter what. No matter what they do to you, no matter how they receive you. Here's one thing you can be assured of because the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, not everybody that you go to trying to help them is going to receive the help. He didn't get it, you're not gonna get it. But there are some that are going to. And either way, it doesn't matter because it's not you who decides. It's them. And all he's asking you to do is to pour out everything you've got, no matter what they do back. With that heart, with this in mind, that no matter what, that's been a theme of ours, hasn't it? Let me put it this way. Trust him no matter what. Why? Why do we need to trust him? To give every single person every possible chance to know him. No matter what. This isn't about the economy collapsing. This isn't about things going horribly. This isn't about you having something terrible happen to you. This is about the fact that he wants you to do something. Something that's the most wonderful thing you can ever do. In fact, what he says is, is, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. This is after he's risen again and he's talking to them. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why? Why is he telling us to do that? Because he wants more people in his cult? Because he'd like you to tithe? He's trying to build something? Why is he doing this? Because he so loved the world that he wants us to go and do everything that we possibly can to bring people to him. You see it? He's been spending the whole, up to now, it's a quarter, it's a, is it a third of the way through? It's a third of the way through, almost. The year, at least it's a quarter and heading to a third of the year. He's been saying the same thing. Trust him, no matter what. 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 Why? Because he actually wants us to trust him. To do a certain thing. And I want you to see something about that thing that he wants us to do. This is a list of all the things that people are afraid of. The most the things they're most afraid of. Starting at the bottom, Friday the 13th. <laughs> Being in the dark, that still is one. Dave Brunk, God bless his soul, said, he said, I was scared of the dark, so I took a chair and I turned off all the lights and I sat there until I liked it. <laughs> Being in a crowd of people, flying in a plane, being in high exposed places, I, st I have that one. I didn't, I've jumped off of so many things that I think something about my brain. It's like the frontal lobe finally grew in. It's supposed to come in at about 20 something. I'm positive it didn't come in until 40 something for me. So I would jump off of stuff and I didn't really worry about it. I did, didn't really, I'm not saying I didn't have some fear, but I didn't think about it. I just did it. 
And then all of a sudden, one day, my frontal lobe finally got strong enough and it said, I'm going to get you back. And now I live in a high rise. And every time I look over the edge, I'm going, oh, crap. <laughs> right? You know, you get that vertigo and you're like, and I always, there's this thing in my head that says, you've jumped off of things like this before. What's wrong with you? Okay, swimming in the ocean. Done that one? The sharks and the things that might touch your feet. Spiders and insects, yeah. Going to the dentist, love that one. Love how high up the list that is. Going out alone at night. Now look at this, third from the top. Dying. <laughs> you dying. <laughs> and then I love this one, getting fat. <laughs> people, people are more afraid of getting fat than they are of dying. <laughs> and then, of course, at the very top is public speaking. Look at how much at the top it is. Look at that. Look at this kind of gradual progression in those middle ones. And then it goes bang over there to the right, public speaking. I found something that is top of that list. I found something that more people don't want to do than that by far. Evangelism. People, people are scared of it. And in part they're scared of it because they think it's coercion, pressure, getting up in another person's face. Sorry, I didn't do my slide right. But they think it's about getting in another person's face. They think I have to convince somebody. They think I have to talk them into it. They think I have to do something. And what if I don't know how to do it? What if I'm not equipped? And I'm not equipped. They're going to ask me a question I can't answer. And they're going to say this. And they're, and they're a friend. And are they ever going to be a friend again after I do this? Because I've got to push. Because nobody can come to the Lord unless you push. See it? Isn't that it? Something along any one of a hundred different variables in that theme. But it's not, I screwed up my serve, anyway. It's not, it's serving, and then serving some more, and then serving some more, no matter what. Here's, here's how I can almost guarantee you you're, you're not gonna get a friend saved. You need to get saved. Here's how I've seen tons of people get saved in this church. Charismatics, thank you. Serve them, sometimes not so great, the response. But serve them again, and then serve them again, and then serve them again. She's the first person that we hired, and the reason why is because I saw what she was doing, and I said, I want it to be a church like that. She's been here ever since. Just keep serving them. It's not just serve, is it? It's agape love. Loving them without thought of return. It doesn't matter how they return because you didn't need them to return anything. What you needed to do is what the Lord was leading you to do, and that was to do what? Love them unconditionally. It's between them and God as to whether or not they get saved, but keep serving them. Yeah. Tell them about Jesus anytime you can. But keep serving them. Keep loving them. Which is to say, simply do whatever he leads, always, no matter what. 
if it's to wave your hands to get something going so that the Lord can fill the room and take us to another gear of trusting him, of moving in him, do that. Okay, so here's what we're going to do with our remaining time. We're going to pray. We're going to do three prayers, in fact. They're going to be fairly short. But the way that we're going to do it is, is we're going to, I'm going to walk you through three different prayers. We're going to do the first one. Every one of them is going to be a private thing, and then we're going to do just a little something after that. And so on this first one, what we're going to do is this. Look at, look at the title. We're going to pray us into action that is empowered. We've been learning how to be empowered for years. It's time to start moving in it. Don't worry about evangelism. Worry about doing whatever the Lord is telling you to do. So what we're doing right here in the phrase is we're screwing up our courage. We're going to pray that we get more courage. And just to give you a little bit of something here, you remember last week we talked about Isaiah and we talked that Isaiah was praying and suddenly the place was filled with the glory of God. The train of his robe filled the place. And then what he did is he said, I'm undone. I've seen the Lord. This is not okay. I'm going to die. But then he doesn't die. And then what happens is the Lord says, who are we going to send? And Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who should I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. I want you to think about something. That happened about 26, over 2,600 years ago. Over 2,600 years ago, a person said, here I am, send me. And 2,600 years later, we still know his name. Look, what can happen when you just do whatever the Lord says to do? So we're going to pray right now. And the first thing we're going to do in this particular prayer is, is we're going to pray privately. A couple of minutes. But what I want you to do is, I want you to pray this prayer. No matter what, in reaching out, inviting others, I'm praying for you to, to I'm praying that you would teach me, would equip me to genuinely trust you. To wave my hands, even though it don't make sense to go to that person, even though they've responded so poorly. To go to that person, even though I have no idea how they're going to react. Here's what I'm asking for right now. I want you to pray for courage. Holy Spirit empowered courage. So just begin to pray, would you?
I want, I just think a couple of people are going to bring the microphone to you, but raise your hands if you're willing to pray for us, for courage, for a willingness to do this, for a heart to do this. Raise your hand. We're going to give you a mic to pray. Go back to Joy. Holy Father, you love us so, so very much. And this invitation that you extend to us is not something to hurt us, but an invitation to participate in what you're doing. Amen. And to experience you in a new and more real way. Holy Spirit, will you please come into our hearts penetrate our souls, reveal the lies that are hindering us from stepping out in your truth Amen. and sharing your love with those around us because you never ever ask us to do something that is going to hurt us. You will keep us safe. And a lot of times the fears that are holding us back are lies about you. Bring your truth to penetrate those lies. Move in our hearts. Move our hands. Let us be willing to listen in that thought that we think, oh, maybe I should do this to actually act on it. Even if it seems weird, because you are faithful. You know our hearts that even if it is weird and even if it's slightly off, you can correct it and you do something in us when we take that step. Thank you, Jesus. Draw us closer Thank to you. yourself, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. One more. Roger. Heavenly Father, we go out of our homes every day. We go out on the highways and the byways and grocery stores, offices, see people in our neighborhoods. Father, just give us the courage to show that you are in us. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we know that there are divine appointments that we don't even know about that we don't see. But Father, open our eyes. Let us see those appointments that you have for us. Letting us remember that people are watching us all the time. Thank that you, our actions, the way we handle ourselves, shows your love for us to them, Father. Thank you, Lord. So Father, just let us help help or you help us to earn the right to speak to the people that we come in contact with. Sometimes it may take a day, a year, ten years. But, Father, let us never forsake that. Thank you, Jesus. Because, Father, we know that through us you are working on people around us. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you, Lord. The second prayer... We're not to be 
hearers only. We're to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving ourselves. You deceive yourself when what you do is hear the word and not act on it. This is what I think the Lord was saying at the very beginning when he says, you'll stand before me and you'll be held to account for how you responded to what he said to us today. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to pray the second prayer. God, what's your plan? You have before you a, a three by five card and a pen. If you don't, raise your hand and we've got some extra ones coming for you. Okay. But everybody needs a pen and one of these. Everybody. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray that he would give you a plan. A, a person, a thought, a situation, whatever it is, that he would literally put a plan in your heart. Now, if you don't get a plan, then make a plan for how to get his plan. See what I'm saying? In other words, if you're praying and he says, do this, write it down. It'll help you remember it, plus we're going to do something with it. But write it down, okay? But like I say, if you don't get something, don't worry about it. Not everybody's going to. I don't even know how many are. But if you don't get something, I want you to do this. I want you to start praying about, Lord, what's my plan to go after you, to, to continue to seek you in the days to come, about you giving me a plan. How many of you still have uh, some form of stop and pray on your doorpost? Okay. That. So just think about it and do it. And that's, and like I say, we're going to pray and then we're going to do something else. So just go ahead. Just take a moment here. Just ask the Lord, what's his plan? What has he got for you to do? Kevin? Give it about another minute. So, like I say, if you've got, if something's come to your mind, write it down. If it hasn't, start thinking about what he would have you do in the coming days. What's your plan to get to where he can use you?
anybody get a plan that they would be willing to share? I realize it could be a little too, okay? The Lord's been working on me for about four months with this, and the part of the issue has been the courage to do it. I've just moved into a new community. There's 26 homes. The Lord's put on my heart to invite the women over for coffee Love and it. dessert. I did a trial run a couple of weeks ago with the Christians I knew. I thought that was safe. Um, it's a bit intimidating to me. I don't even know these people. I've already had classes in my home with 20, 25 cars blocking the streets. I may be on the enemy list already. So thank you for doing this. And now hold me accountable because Thank it's you, out of my comfort zone. You've mentioned this to me a couple of times, so deal. <laughs> okay? I love the plan. When I first I heard it. I know God has put me there I, for a reason. When I first heard it, I knew and, that this was the Lord for you. And I feel like I need to move on it. Amen. Anybody want to come? I need some support there. Amen. Okay, just because of time, we're going to go to the third prayer. I'd like to get a couple more testimonies and feel free to send them in. But I just want to go to the third prayer. Always remember something. If it's you doing it, good luck. It isn't you doing it. It's you getting into a place to where he can do it through you. That's the part you have to do. It's his plan, his way, empowered by him. That's what he's been trying to teach us. Every time I think about that, that takes the fear out of it entirely to me. Because him I know and can trust. So I go after him who I know and can trust. And then God, just make me your instrument in whatever way, no matter what. So that's our prayer. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done and even greater works. Because I'm going to be with the Father which is to say anointing. So I just want you to pray for just a minute here for God to empower and anoint us. just pray in power and anointing over us that we would be empowered and anointed. Raise your hands. Who is it? Keep them short too. Thanks, Craig. You know, that's funny because I said it's Craig. <laughs> so Lord, in Jesus' name, something new that you would speak to us. Something creative, God, that we could not in ourselves come up with. Holy Spirit, would you speak it right now and tenderly, Lord, wrap that towards our heart and remind us to act on it. 
God, I'm not going to bring thunder by the way I pray. I'm just asking your Holy Spirit to come and speak that word to us that we couldn't have thought of on our, our own and bring it about in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Anointing and empowerment. Who? Sandy. Father God, I pray that you empower us with your eyesight. Amen. That when we look at someone in front of us, we see what you see. We Amen. see how much you love them Amen. and how much you want them to be with you. Amen. And Father God, we thank you that you may give us the words immediately to say to these people. You may give us the feeling of love for these people. But Father God, you promise too that we can trust that your word does not go void. And so if we speak your words, we have given them some of your love. So we will love because we love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. John. John. to speak your heart over these people. Lord, I pray that you would anoint them, empower them. Lord, give them vision. Give them your heart. Give them your compassion for the lost, for just their friendships, for the people that they know that they would want them to be in the kingdom with you. And Lord, just give them love. And I speak that in Jesus' name over all my brothers and sisters. Thank you. Amen. Patricia just came to me and said, I just feel like there's an anointing to heal. So turn just two people, one to another, and just pray for the other person. Pray for their healing. If you have something, let them know what it is. Let them pray for it. But just pray with one another here for a moment, would you? It's going to be short because we're a little late. Reach down in front of you and there's these two cups. 
Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we look to this first cup. We recognize that we have broken not only our lives, but others by failing to be the one who prayed for them for healing, by failing to be the one who served, by failing to be the one who loved. We recognize that that breaks our lives and it breaks theirs and it breaks the whole world. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, we put our finger in here and we break this, acknowledging that we're the ones who did this. But then we lift this cup as you were lifted up and we lift it up to you because by your stripes we are healed. In Jesus' most magnificent, incredible, and miraculous name, in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you, God, praise you, God, all glory, all power, all everything unto you. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, by your stripes we are healed. Take this. And then we lift up this cup in which is the life, the life that you have for us. And we say, God, in Jesus' name, we know it's already there just waiting for us. God, bring us into it. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, bring us into this life. Forgive us. We don't know. I believe. Help my unbelief. God, bring us into the fullness of this life, of this anointing, of your presence, of your leading, of you, Lord. Beautiful, magnificent, glorious, incredible, loving, powerful, spectacular you. In Jesus' holy and precious name, let that life come into us and come out as rivers of living water. In Jesus' name, take this cup together. I'm gonna tell you something. Because of what I talked about several weeks ago, with us having to move right during Easter, and it was a huge Easter prep and all that, I've been operating for about two weeks on about three hours of sleep, and I gotta tell you, I'm not even sure if I'm here. But I'll tell you what came to me on both sermons. When I'm weak, he's strong. When I'm weak, he's strong. And I think he delivered two incredibly important and powerful messages. So when I'm weak, he's strong. In Jesus' holy and precious name, ush ushers, could you come forward? 